with Ryan Reese. This is Live with Ryan Reese. Call now, 1-888-564-6173. Or post your questions using the hashtag LiveRyanReese on his Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. What's up, family? Thanks for tuning in to another Saturday night. It's good to be back. I'm missing half the posse here tonight. Melinda's in Hawaii with her family, living the dream. Sean McKeon's, I think he's in Vegas, living the dream out there, hanging out poolside. And I'm in studio all by myself. But then I got this amazing phone call this week from the uh, the ministry, the the filmmakers, actually the, the number one filmmakers, I think, in the Christian world. They're called I Am Second. You can check out their films at com. They hit me up, and they told me that um, Remy Adeleke is going to be in... Did I murder the last name? <laughs> no, that was good. That was good. <laughs> yeah. That he was uh, actually in town, and he's coming out in the new Transformer film this Wednesday, and he has a new I Am Second that literally just hit uh, the web um, two days ago. You can go and watch it at I Am Second dot com and share it i watched it four times three times today one time yesterday and this dude that i'm about to interview right now he is the real deal i've heard many stories you guys know i've been on the there for about two years hearing stories after stories and not saying none of those are good they're all great but i've heard a lot of stories and you just know when someone has an encounter with god you just know when it's the real deal and um this story is the real deal so i want to encourage you guys to check it out when you get a chance, but you know you could share it. But we got the live show here today, so thank you, Remy, yeah. for coming into the studio. Thanks for having me, Ryan. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, man. Well, you know, we were gonna do like a a different part of the show at the end. I was gonna do it the last thirty minutes, you know. But then once we you came in and we started chopping up yeah. and hanging out, vibing off each other, I was yeah. like. Yo, we got to do the whole hour. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, man, so, you know, I saw that I am second. It says you grew up in New York, but where, where, how'd that, how'd you even get to New York? Yeah, so I'm actually Nigerian. Um, I was born in Nome, Togo. Um, my father was a well-known Nigerian engineer. Um, and because of his success as an engineer, we had a lot of money. And so we traveled all over the world, Lome, Togo, London, Paris, France, um, New York, California. I mean, we went all over the world and then. We didn't live in a house in Nigeria. We lived on a compound. We didn't have a nanny. We had nannies. We didn't have a car. We had cars. We had drivers. We had it all in Nigeria. And um, in 1987, that all changed when my father died. And in the same breath of my father's death, the Nigerian government stripped him of absolutely everything. So we went from rich one moment to poor the next moment. And so my mom, being the strong woman that she is, um, she was American. So she was like, I'm not going to raise my kids here in Nigeria yeah. with, without a support system. So she brought my brother and I back to the States. And so we grew up in the Bronx in New York City. How old City. were you when you moved back? I was five. Okay. Was so five. happened when you were young, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I was five and my brother was six. Well, how, so, how was that growing up in, in the Bronx during that time? You know, um, at that time, you know, being young, I didn't realize that, you know, I didn't really pay attention to my environment. I was so young. But as I got older, I want to say when I was around eight, um, it really, it finally hit me that I didn't have a father. And I remember I was, um, I was in my room just staring at the wall and staring at the picture of my dad. And I was just like, man, I don't have a father. And the reason why we don't have much now, cause my mom, she had to, she struggled trying yeah. to raise my brother. And I mean, she had to work two jobs and, and there were times when she didn't have enough food for, for herself. She just had enough food for my brother and I. So my mom struggled tremendously and um, I that, remember that's, that's very relatable too. By the way, I mean, yeah. I know just in United in California, fifty percent of of kids 
um, come from broken families. Yeah. Than where the mom's working or the dad's gone or whatever. So Absolutely. this is so relatable. Absolutely. And so um, I, anyway, I remember, you know, being in the room and just staying at the pitch of my dad. And I, for some reason, I equated the fact that he wasn't there to our situation. And in some way in my mind, I said, if my father was here, we wouldn't be living the way we're living. We would be living this life. And so, honestly, that was the day that I began to try and find something to fill my paternal void. And so in the, in the late 80s and the early 90s, you know, that hip-hop culture, that, that street culture, you know, the music, the rap, all that stuff began to blossom. And um, as it began to blossom, I began to look to that as a father figure, you know, I, as I began to look at these. Because I was able to look at these rappers who look like me. They grew up in the inner city just like me. They grew up in single-parent homes just like me. And they were putting out these messages and these messages resonated with me because I never had another man that say, hey, this is what it is to be a man. This is what you have to do to be a man. So because that's what I heard, that's what I wanted to do. So um, I started out stealing from my mom. Um, that progressed to to, to um, getting jobs. And on every job I was on, I was steal from the job because I wanted that money so that I can get the power, so that I can get the respect, so I can get girls, so I can get a car, so I can get all of these things. And then that progressed to, to running scams and then that progressed to selling drugs. And by the time I was 19, you know, I had everything that my fathers, my quote unquote fathers told me I needed to have. I had a brand new Lincoln LS car. I had girlfriends. I had money. I had a crew. I was putting money into a record label that I was starting called Eighth Wonder Records. I was going down to Virginia and working in studios to put records together. And I was just, I just had it all in my That's eyes. That's a big deal at 19 years old. Yeah. 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 For, for real. <laughs> and, uh. And the money kept coming in, but you know the scriptures say, you know, in, in, in Proverbs thirteen eleven, wealth from get rich quick schemes quickly disappears. Yeah. Wealth from hard work grows over time. And uh, one day I was in, I got involved in a deal with a drug dealer. That went bad. Um, I sold him some things that I shouldn't have sold him. They were supposed to last for a certain amount of time. They only last for a fraction of the time that was advertised. And he came to my mom's house and he said to me, "You better have my money." by this time. And if you don't have my money for me, things are not going to go too well for you. And I knew what that meant. I knew that if I didn't have this guy's money, I was going to probably end up dead. And so I went out into the streets. I made him the money that I needed to make him. And then I gave up the street life for like six months and did absolutely nothing. Um, and then in June of 2002, I was laying in my bed and I hear this voice speak to me at that time. I thought it was just my conscience, you know, but in retrospect, I truly believe that it was the voice of God. What, what, what did it sound like? Man, it was just... Was it like a small, still voice or was it loud? It was a small, still voice. It was a small, still voice, but it was just, it just, it, it wasn't forceful, but it was, it was present. Yeah. It was present. It was so present that I felt like it was my conscience bothering me, mm. you know? And, and one thing you got to understand, for me to join the military, that was contrary to who I was. So that was definitely not my idea. I didn't like authority. Yeah. I did. I like my clothes, my clothes baggy. So I didn't like putting on a <laughs> uniform. I like yeah. my hats backwards, yeah. you know. Um, and, you know, I, I hated the police. I didn't want to have anything to do with the police. And I associated anybody in the uniform, whether you were a firefighter or whether you were a military person as a police officer or someone of authority. Yep. And so that was contrary to who I was. But. As I began to lay in my bed and as this voice began to really just begin to penetrate my heart, I came to the realization that if I don't leave, because I haven't been doing anything for six months, and if I go back to doing what I'm doing, I'm going to either end up dead or in prison. This, so, this is amazing, really quick. This yeah. is amazing how, like, God, you're not walking with God. You, you don't know anything God. about Jesus or the Bible, but yet mm -hmm. the God, that God is pursuing us Yes, in different parts of our life. And yeah. here he is pursuing you. Yeah. 
And you're not even a believer. Not even a believer. And the cool, and as I look back on that, you know, and look at where I'm at today, you know, God doesn't live in time like we live in time. Mm-hmm. He lives in eternity. Yeah. So God knew years later that I would eventually submit to him. So, you know, he loved me and he was just pursuing me because he was preparing me to bring me to that point where I would just submit to him, what I believe looking back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got out of my bed. I walked down the street. I grew up on Fordham Road and um, I went into the into the recruiter's office and there was a Navy recruiter there. I can't recall her name, but I told her what I was trying to do. I told her I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a SEAL. Now, I back up and a by, little by, bit. By the way, yeah, you just walk yeah. in and say you want to be a SEAL, yeah, which yeah. is like the gnarliest thing in military. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the reason why is because it was, a, it was like, yeah, I know she laughed at me like, yeah, you, I was skinny too. Like, seriously, <laughs> yeah. I was skinny my whole life. I was, I mean, I was like, when I joined the Navy, I was like 150 soaking wet. You know, I was tall, but I was skinny. You know, all those yeah. baggy clothes and show the bone, the skin and bones, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, but I wanted to be a SEAL because, you know, when I was, when I was a kid, one thing, my mom, my mom was always into the arts. She was always was in the music and she would take us to art galleries and she would take us to museums and one thing she would always do she would take us to movies it was like a pastime for us so um i remember she took me to go see bad boys uh in 95 and when we saw it it really began to change my perspective because that was the first film i saw with two african-american men who looked like me and they had somewhat the same demeanor I had, they were still cool, but they were out there doing something different than what I saw before. They weren't selling drugs in the film. They weren't being hustlers. They weren't being gangsters. Instead, they were heroes. Instead, they were heroes. Yeah. And so that kind of, you know, planted a seed that, you know what, Remy, there's more out there than what you see in your environment. Yeah. Like, you don't have to be what you, what, what, what you see all the time. You could be something else. There is more out there in the world. So that's what that first film did for me. The second film that Michael Bay put out was called The Rock. And that film came out a year later. And in that film, that was the first time I saw Navy SEALs. Like growing up in the Bronx, you don't get recruiters that come to your school and talk about what SEALs do. Why, you know? why is that? What do you think? I don't know, man. I don't know. It's interesting because when I, I get asked to go speak at suburban schools all the time, mm-hmm. But very rarely do I get asked to do stuff in inner cities. And when I do try to do stuff in inner city schools, it's like it's like moving heaven and earth (laughs) for me to be able to get in. So I don't know if it's the system. You know what? I think it is somewhat of a broken system, you know, honestly. Um, But, you know, I went to the movies and I saw this film, The Rock, and that was the first time I was exposed to SEALs. And in the back of my mind, I said, you know what? If I could ever turn my life around, that's what I would do. And so fast forward to the recruiter's office. That's what I told her I wanted to do. And so she was like, all right, we'll see. We'll see what you We'll see. I don't, I'll get you in the Navy, but I don't think you're going to be a SEAL. <laughs> and so uh, she went. The first thing she had to do was she had to run my background check because right. you can't get into the military without a background check. And she went to go run my background. You sweating? No, I wasn't sweating. Oh, you weren't? I was like, I'm good. I, you know, I was good with the stuff I was doing. I knew how to sneak around and not get caught. But. Apparently, I didn't sneak around good enough because my background came back with I had two warrants out for my arrest. And I can't even tell you what the warrants were for because I didn't even know that I had warrants. And so I had a warrant in New Jersey and a warrant in New York. And she said, and and this woman believed in me. She saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. One, and I truly believe that God hand selected this woman for me to meet her Mm -hmm. because it was all his timing. He spoke to me that morning. Then after speaking to me that morning, I walk down the street, walk into the recruiter's office. She's the only one there. And this woman is willing to work for a person who has two warrants. That does not happen no. at all. It doesn't. And so she said, check this out. Let's go to the talk to these judges. So she took me to the judge in New Jersey. 
And and she said to the judge, listen, this kid, he's been in trouble. I understand he has these warrants, but he's trying to turn his life around. 9-11 just took place nine months earlier. Is there any way we can clear his record so that he could join the military? And the judge said, if this kid is serious, I'll clear his record so that he could join the military. All he has to do is pay the court f- fees and court fines. God's so that, favor. Exactly. God's favor, God's hand, knowing what I'm going to mm-hmm. become, knowing what I need to get through in order to become what he wants me to become. Mm-hmm. And so she took me to the judge in, in New York, said the same thing. Judge said, OK, if this kid is really being serious and he's going to join the military, I'll clear it, clear the warrants, pay the court fees, court fines so that he could join the military. So I didn't have the money. I, my memory serves me right. It was like a thousand dollars. Not that I did not have the money. But my aunt Doki, bless her heart. She's still alive today. She's 90. She's going to be 99 in September. Loves the Lord. Awesome woman. She's the sweetest woman you ever met. Me. And uh, she went in the bank and she pulled out the money. She gave it to me. She said, I don't want it back, Remy. All I want is I want you to be somebody. Amazing. Yeah. And and, and but that, that was my ticket in. I got in the Navy. If you guys are just tuned in, you're listening live with Ryan Reese and I have Remy. And you, see, you have to say your last name. Adeleke. Adeleke. <laughs> <laughs> in studio. Yeah. Uh, he'll be premiering in the new uh, Transformer film that just came out. Or it's actually coming out. June on 21st. June 21st. Yeah. And then the I Am Second video that just came out at IamSecond.com. You can watch that and forward it to all your friends. And uh, he's he was talking about how he got saved out of the Bronx, came from Africa, got saved. and Oh, he's not saved yet. Not saved You're yet. You're not saved. Nowhere near saved yet. <laughs> Left Africa, growing up in Bronx in a rough lifestyle and uh, manipulating his way through life and getting himself into you know slanging and all that stuff that comes along with that stuff. And uh, now here he is enlisting in the Navy SEALs in the Navy to get in the Navy SEALs and God just starts pouring out his favor on his life. So now what's next? You enlist. I enlist. You get cleared. I, I get cleared. I enlist. And, if, and, and you know, backtrack a little bit. She told me, the recruiter told me, she said, when you go to boot camp, there's going to be an evolution called moment of truth. And that moment of truth, the, the, the drill instructors are going to ask you, did you have a record? Did your recruiter tell you not to say anything? Because you need to tell us now. If you don't tell us now, we're gonna find out, and we're gonna put you in put you in jail. You're gonna get in trouble. You're gonna get kicked out. Jail. By, yeah. So, you dude, know, they I would have been scare sketched you. out. Yeah. Because when they said jail, I'd be yeah. like, dude, I can't do the jail thing. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Like you're gonna get in trouble, pretty much. And so uh, she, my recruiter told me. She said, "But they lying." She said, "Don't don't listen to them. Just keep quiet. Don't tell them about this this what happened." And so I so I went to boot camp. Went to the moment of truth. It happened just as she said it happened. I didn't say anything. I kept my mouth shut. But for two months in boot camp, I'm shaking like a coconut on the tree, man, mm-hmm. because I didn't know if I was going to get caught and get kicked out. So I, anyway, I get through boot camp. Um, my, my job was a medic. I got a corpsman. We know him as a corpsman. So I got that rating as a corpsman. So after I went through core school, I got stationed at Naval Hospital Camp Pendleton um, right down the street from here. Uh-huh. Um when I was there, when I checked in. So wait, you were a corpsman. I was a corpsman, yeah. In the Navy. In the Navy. Yeah, I started out as a corpsman. Corpsman, they're, they're, the, they're the nuttiest because they're, they're always saving people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm still trying to save I, people. Yeah, true, huh? <laughs> yeah. Guys, I'm going to work on your heart. First, I'm going to teach you how to save people yeah, yeah. physically, and then we're going to go after the, the spiritual side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good way. That's a good one. And so, uh, so I get there, and I had a, I had an HM3 who was in charge of me, and this woman, man, she treated me so so bad. I mean, she was condescending. I don't know if I remind her of her ex-boyfriend or something, but she was just so mean and rude to me. And um, but that became my impetus 
for me to really train hard. You know, I was skinny, about 150 pounds, soaking wet. I couldn't swim, and I didn't have the academic scores that needed to be a SEAL. So every, like you said earlier, coming from the Bronx, you don't learn how to swim. You don't learn how to swim. <laughs> I mean, there's no YMCA's like nope. there are in the suburbs. You know what I'm saying? So, um, um, so I, so I, so I just started training hard. I just would go to the gym. No one would tell me what to do. I would jump on a pull-up bar, do push-ups, just make stuff up. I would run three miles to the pool, jump in the pool, and try to figure it out. Eventually, I humble myself and I begin to ask the lifeguards to teach me what to do, and the lifeguards would direct me. And then before I knew it. And, and then also I had to study the, the ASVAT book so that I can get my academic scores up, you know, high enough in order to get into the program. And how, so, well, one quick question: when mm-hmm. you uh, when you do this training, how long does the seal have to be able to stay underwater? Uh, <laughs> oh man, I mean, I don't think it's a, until they tell you to gum up. But I mean, what's, what's the, okay, what's the longest like? Oh, uh, the longest, yeah. man. The longest I would say I held my breath underwater was probably like. Two minutes, I can think. Yeah. I mean, I can't remember. This yeah, was so yeah. many years ago. That's gnarly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so uh, you know, I got the qualification. I got, I passed all the qualification I need to pass to get into the program. This is 2004. I get accepted into the program. I go to Buds, make it through Hell Week. After I make it through Hell Week, um, I get rolled. I get double rolled for swim times because I, I was proficient enough swimming. I was proficient enough to get into the program. But when I got into the program, I had never swam with fins before. So I had a hard time f- swimming with fins. So I failed all my two-mile time ocean swims in buds in first phase. And so the instructors, because I made it through Hell Week, the instructor said, you know what? We'll work with you. We'll roll you back two classes, work on your swimming. Then after the next after the next two classes finish Hell Week, you'll catch up with them, and then you'll go on the second phase. And so I did that, and um, I also went out and partied in the Gaslam District, you know, tried, you know, I know that area thing, well. hooking up with girls and all mm-hmm. of that, telling girls I'm a SEAL when I'm not, I'm in training, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I did that, and then and then I, I made it through, I passed the swim times in first phase, and then I went to second phase, which is dive phase. And again, instead of doing what I needed to do, instead of working on what I needed to work on on the weekends, I was out partying. Um, and I ended up failing some evolutions. I went to an academic review board. The board said, hey, check this out. You've fallen behind. You failed these evolutions. You've already been rolled twice for swims. You got rolled once for medical. We're kicking you out of the program. And I tell you what, that was one of the greatest things that happened to me. Um, and that was one of the first times in my life I took responsibility and said, you know what? It's my fault. Instead mm-hmm. of doing what I needed to do, I was out there partying, chasing girls, and doing all of these things. Distractions. Actually, exactly, exactly, mm-hmm. instead of doing what I was supposed to do. So got kicked out, got sent back to Camp Pendleton. This time I got sent to 1st Marine Division, so I'm in the infantry. Um, I, my my uh, HM1, who was in charge of me, this time I got an HM1 who was cool. Um, he liked me, and uh, he liked my work ethic because I worked really hard when I got sent back to Camp Pendleton because I really wanted to get back to Buds. Uh, we went, did our first, de- did a deployment. I did a deployment with the Marines. Uh, got back from that deployment. When I got back from that deployment, my HM1 became the command career counselor for all corpsmen in Southern California. Now, that's that's a big deal. I mean, he so he went from being in charge of 14 people to being in charge of like a thousand corpsmen. Yeah. And being a career counselor who dictates the career path. Oh, dang. Yeah. Yeah. And so and at that time, you had to be a first Marine division for for three years or you had to have done two deployments and get your FMF pin. I ain't going to explain it all, but let's just say you had to be there for at least three years. I had only been there for a year and change. And but because he got promoted. He knew my work ethic. He was just like, I'm going to get you back to Buds faster. So 
he ended up whispering in the Master Chief's ear about me, and the Master Chief was like, let's get him back to Buds right now. And I went back to Buds, and um, that's I, I made it through. But here's where my conversion story begins to take place. Um, so now you're a Navy SEAL. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm towards the end of training at this okay, point. Okay. Yeah, I'm at the end of training. But before I went to tr- back to— tr- So well, this is a high—okay, so yeah. being at that place where you're at, this yeah. is a big deal. This is very— you're, uh, 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 you're very successful at this point in your life. You're feeling yeah. good about yourself. Absolutely. I know if I was you in your position, yeah. I'd be like feeling pretty dang good about myself. Yep, absolutely. I mean, I was I was pretty much almost done with SEAL training. I was making good money. I had a nice car. I'm living in Mission Valley. I'm in the clubs on the weekend. You got it going. You know. For the man of the world. <laughs> exactly. I got it all. I got yeah. it all at this point. No one can't tell me nothing. Yes. <laughs> and I came from the Bronx and I'm here. Like, what can you tell me? Yep. This was my mindset. Um, and um, But God brought a woman into my life. And um, and this woman, she was, a, she was a Christian. And I didn't know anything about Christianity. I didn't know anything about Jesus, and I didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. I would have considered myself an agnostic. I vacillated between agnostic and atheist at times. So you didn't know anything? You didn't care? You were just like, did you even believe that he existed? Or I, you just I, like- I vacillated. Like, there were times where I'd be like, there might be a God, but then when I was times like, there can't be a God. Yeah. You know? Um, gotcha. My mom would take me to church when I was a kid, but I didn't believe, I didn't understand it. I didn't get it at that age. Yeah. And so now— because a lot of things that I saw as it related to the church, I didn't want to have anything to do with organized religion and I didn't really believe in it. Yeah. And so, but when I met this girl, she was going to church and I didn't want to have anything to do with church, but I was willing to do whatever I needed to do <laughs> to spend some time with this girl. And so she would invite me to church and there were a few times I was like, nah, I'm not going. But then one time I said, you know, what? I'll go check it out. And I remember going into the church and seeing people raise their hands and, and seeing people crying and this pastor pre I just remember mocking everything. I remember saying, look at these idiots, man. Look at this person over here, man. He's raising hands. Look at this person crying. Look at this pastor. He's stealing everybody's money. This was my mindset as I'm mm-hmm. sitting in the church. Which is and, common for people. <laughs> yeah, which is very common. And um, and so I left the church service and I went back again and, and then a second time and then I didn't go anymore. Uh, fast forward, our relationship begins to grow and blossom and, and, and even though our relationship begins to grow, I'm treating this woman like trash, man. I mean, I'm cheating on her. I'm lying to her. I'm talking down to her. I'm calling her name. All of this, even though I'm treating her so bad, she's still staying with me. She's not leaving with me. And this, it was a crap. I couldn't understand. There were times where I was trying to make her leave me. I was doing stuff intentionally for her to leave me, but she still stood by me. And, um, I remember I went to jump school, static line jump school, and I broke my leg on my second jump. I jumped out of the plane um, and wind hit my parachute the wrong way, and I came came burning in pretty fast. Not fast enough to die, but fast enough to break something. Dang. And as soon as I hit the ground, I heard my left ankle snap, crackle, and it popped. It blew up. Um, I did my next two jumps the next day because I wanted to get my qualification and never have to do a – potentially never have to do a static line jump, ground jump again. And then I went to the hospital. When I went to the hospital, I found out that I wasn't going to be able to walk for like three months. Well, for those three months, I, I was laid up in my house. This girl did every. I mean, she cleaned my house. She brought me food. I mean, she, I mean, she checked my mail. I mean, she left her dog at my house to keep me company. I mean, it was like God was revealing to me how he had loved me despite the way I treated him through this girl. Mm. He was like giving me a glimpse of his love for me despite how I rejected him and, and, and hated him and did all of these things in that situation. And as soon as I was able to walk again after three months, I broke up with her. 
And I remember when I broke up with her, she fell on the floor and she was just screaming and crying. And she was like, how could you do this to me? I've given up so much for you. And I was like, I don't care. Get out of my house. Dang. And so she left the house and I went back into the clubs and I got all these girls and I'm, I'm a player player now. Again. I got it. I'll just get another one. <laughs> yeah, I'll just get another yep. one. And so um, I hated it when I was like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it's the mindset. In the moment, yeah. It's a mindset. In the moment, you it's, not, it's nothing wrong with yeah, it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so. um so fast forward to about a month later, a month later, July of 2008, I'll never forget this. I had got tickets to a Roots concert and I felt this presence, just like I felt this presence tell me to join the military. I felt this presence tell me, you need to take it back. You need to take it back. You need to take it back. And I'm thinking to myself, why do I want to take it back? I got girls all over the place. I got money. I'm in Mission Valley. I'm good to go. But it just kept penetrating my heart deep. Take it back. Take it back. And God knew what he was doing. He was setting me up to knock me down. And so I, <laughs> I, I, I got back in a relationship with her. We went to the Roots concert together. And back in a relationship, I'm treating her bad. And then I got sent off to cold weather survival training in Alaska. Now, this is, this is, um, this is uh, t- August of 2008. When I get to Alaska, I didn't have much access to the Internet. I didn't have any cell phone coverage. And, and, and. Like I didn't have access to a phone really. It was like one phone amongst a bunch of us. Right. And so all I had was myself in a sense. And there were times where we would go on these land navigation hikes in the Alaskan wilderness and you had to be by yourself because you had to find these points by yourself so that you could graduate the program. You had to show that you could actually do land navigation on your own. And it was this beautiful wilderness. And in the midst of this wilderness, I began to start to reflect on my life. I began to really take a look at who I was and as I begin to walk around this wilderness by myself and, and think about what I had become, I didn't like what I saw. I, was, I thought about how I treated my mom bad and stole from her and did all of these things to her and even still treated her bad as an adult. I thought about how I made fun of my brother who was a Christian and treated him bad. And, and I thought about how I treated this girl and all of these things. Just as I reflected, did an honest assessment of my life. I didn't like what I saw. And I truly believe that it was God. He had to bring me to that place in order to hold up a mirror for me to see. And I made a decision. I decided, you know, Remy, I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to fix myself. And I tried, man. I tried so many. I tried other religious practices while I was out there to fix myself. I tried forcing myself. And nothing I tried worked. And it really began to frustrate me because here I was this person who always had the answer to everything. When I was running the streets in the Bronx, I was able to figure out life. When I was selling drugs and got caught by my friend's mom, I was able to get out of that situation. When I wanted to get in SEAL training but couldn't swim, I was able to figure out swimming. I always had the answer to everything, but here God had placed me in this situation. How do you fix yourself? That I just didn't have the answer to. And it frustrated, it bugged me so much that I fell into a deep depression. That's hit, crazy. Deep, deep depression. Yeah. Because I, I couldn't do it. And then on top of that, my girlfriend, unbeknownst to me, she goes to a party, and when she's at this party, she meets this lady. And she begins to tell this lady about me. And this lady tells her, you need to leave him. Like, he, if you stay with him, your life is going to be horrible. And for the first time in like two years of our relationship, that, that word from that woman yep. was enough to give her the strength to leave me. Now, I didn't know this. So I'm in Alaska and I call her up. I finally get a hold of her. And I'm like, hey, check this out. And she's not even saying anything to me yet. I was like, hey, because I'm excited. I'm like. 
I realize that I'm a dirtbag. I realize that I've been treating you like trash. I've been out here reflecting on my life. When I get back, I want to marry you. I want to be a good man to you. I'm going to treat my family better. Man, I, I can't believe how, how bad I've been. I'm telling her all of this. And she's dead silent on the phone. Hold that thought. <laughs> yeah. Because we're going to be going to break yeah. in two minutes. Yeah. Oh, man, this story is getting heated. Yeah. Hey, man, if you guys, uh, as you're listening, um, we have Remy in studio. Now, remember, his I Am Second is on the website, IamSecond.com. He's coming out in the new Transformer film on Wednesday. So go check it out. And, you know, I just want to tell you guys a little bit about the Whosoever's Movement. We are continuing to uh, tour public high schools. Right now, we are actually partnering with I Am Second. We are at the Vans Warp Tours. Um, I think right now we're actually in Vegas, and then we have the Arizona one, and then the Utah one, and then it's going to wrap back around, back to L.A. and San Diego. I'll be out at those dates. But go by the booth. If you're at the Vans Warped Tour, check it out. Check out some of the films. All those stories are absolutely amazing. And if you have any access to any public high schools that you guys would like us to come into, please email us at info. At, actually, what is it? Go to the whosoevers.com and shoot us an email, and we would love to come out and uh, do an event at your high school. It's absolutely for free. We bring out pizza for the for the school. We bring out free product, free uh, skateboards, and uh, we come out and we preach the gospel because that's the only thing that will transform anyone's lives. You're hearing Remy's story. You guys know my story. You know, you could go out and follow all the things of the world, but there's nothing that's going to fill that empty void in your life but a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's not till you fully surrender to Him, surrender it all, and give it your life to Him, and then He will start working out those details. He'll start cleaning up your life. He'll start bringing that brokenness uh, back together. Even if your marriage is destroyed, He'll bring your marriage back together. If you're struggling with your sexual identity, He'll work those details out. Anything you're dealing with, you got to surrender to Jesus Christ, and He will start transforming you one second at a time. We'll be back right after the break in two minutes. More live with Ryan Reese coming up. Everything all right? Call now. 1-888-564-6173. Or post your questions using the hashtag LiveRyanReese on his Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Uh, I think I speak for the entire administration when I say whoop-de-doo. Now, back to live with Ryan Reese. Don't say what I warn you. All right, we are back with Remy Adelaide. Adelaide. I don't want to mess up the name, so I'm going to have you keep saying it. He's in the new film, Transformers, coming out this Wednesday, and he has an I Am Second film that came out, and it's epic at IamSecond.com. You know they got the sickest videos in the Christian world of people's testimonies. They got all kinds of stories up there. You can get lost on that website. Just go through story after story after story covering every single subject. So right before the break, you became a Navy SEAL. You were dating a girl, and you were treating her like trash, yeah. just like when you're not a Christian. I mean, I was listening to your story, yeah. and I'm like thinking about my past life going, yeah. dude, God, that's just the way you think. You're like, I'll throw her in the gutter, go get another. You know, it's yeah. just like money, girls. I mean, that's all you live for. Yeah, absolutely. Think about it. When yeah. you're not a Christian, for me, I was like, I'm stoked to have a nice car, a nice house, go out on vacation, do whatever I want to do, and then have that fine chick. And you're always looking for that other fine chick. Yeah, <laughs> it's so it's so yeah. crazy. Yeah, never satisfied. I was never satisfied. So tell me a little never bit about satisfied. that. So, um, so I call her up and she's just silent on the line, and then and then I'm just like, "What's going on? Like, why are you so quiet? You should be excited. I changed my life. I turned around. I had this 
I had this, 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 this revelation of who I am. And she's like, I'm done with you. I'm leaving you. And I'm like, what? You leaving me? Like, why? Like, listen, I just told you. And I'm not telling you this because I'm, because you leave me. I'm telling you this because this is what really happened. She was like, no, I'm done. I never had the strength to leave you, but I'm leaving you now. And I felt like I was in a twilight zone. Yeah. So now I'm even more messed up because I was beginning to get messed up because I couldn't change myself. Then I decide I'm still going to try to change myself. Then she tells me she's leaving me. And that really took me really, really down. And that added to the depression. And I fell into a deep depression. And and it was the lowest point I had ever been in my entire life. I felt so low that I began to have suicidal thoughts. I began to just just feel guilt and feel all this shame. I just felt so bad, not just for what I did to her, but before I did to other people. And I felt like, man, everything is coming back on me now. And, and I'm paying for the way I treated all of these people and the things that I've done to all of these people. And, and, and I just felt crushed, like literally, not just physically, I felt crushed spiritually. And, and where that comes from yeah. is we know that the enemy, Satan, is mm-hmm. the accuser of the brethren. Mm-hmm. He's the one that he, he's the one that gives us all these things. Hey, girls, money, do all this stuff. And then what he wants to do is he wants to come back and use it to to, to make you depressed and destroy you either physically mm-hmm. or mentally. And now Absolutely. here he is giving you everything you want. Yeah. And now he's coming like a whirlwind. Absolutely. Like it says, in, I think it's like first or second Peter says, watch out, stay alert because Satan roams around the world like a roaring lion looking to whom he can devour. Yep. And now here he is getting you mentally to yep. take your life. Yep. And you know when you when he gives you all of those things, he'll give it to you. He'll go away, but he's going to not. Mm-hmm. I want my money back. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I it's want my true. money back. And so, so you know, I I got I, I just literally when I was in when I was in Alaska, I just started crying out to Jesus. Like I just started saying, "Jesus, help me! Jesus, help me! Jesus, help me!" But you never believed in Jesus. I didn't believe, but my brother, he was a Christian. And my Seeds. brother, I later found out later that my brother and he had like a whole network of people praying for me, <laughs> praying for me to come to know Jesus, right? Yeah, so, sure. so, so I remembered that my brother would talk to me about Jesus. I said, okay, nothing else is working. I can't change myself. Let me try this Jesus, just Jesus man thing. And so I just started crying, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me. And I'm getting better. I'm getting peace, but then I'm not. So I get back from Alaska. And when I get back from Alaska, I figured, you know, maybe if she sees me, That'll change everything because, you know, when you see each other in person, I was like thinking maybe the emotions will come back and she'll be like, man, I don't want to leave this dude. Mm-hmm. But she came to the house to pick up her stuff and she was just stone cold. She got her stuff and she left. And I was just like, wow, like this is for real. And so she left. And then, and then the next weekend, I'm in my bedroom, just depressed, a mess, still not nothing has changed really in my life. Still this person is feeling guilt, feeling shame feeling bad for all the things I did, but still kind of doing the bad things at the same time. And I'm laying in my bed and I feel this darkness come into my room, like literally this darkness. And it was a darkness I could feel, see, touch. It was like the the darkest darkness I've ever seen. And in that time, I didn't just, I felt so, I felt such anguish in my spirit. And so I picked up my phone and I called her frantically. And I'm like, listen, please take me back. Please take me back. She's like, no, I'm not going to take you back. I said, please give me one more chance. If you don't take me back, I don't know what's going to happen to me. She said, no, I won't take you back. And then the words came out of me. I said, okay, if you're not going to take me back, can you at least take me to church? No way. (laughs) (laughs) And and it just just naturally came. And she said, I won't take you back, but I'll take you to church. (laughs) 
Dude, that's so, crazy. Yeah, yeah, so she took me to church. That is the- so sick, <laughs> yeah. dude. I cannot believe yeah. So she took me to church the next day, and I can't tell you anything the pastor preached. I could tell you I was a mess in the service. I was right in the front, and when he said, does anybody want to surrender their life to Christ? I was like, this is it. I need, I need Jesus. I need something bigger than me to fix me. Like, I can't do this anymore. And if he's real, then let's see what happens. And I went and I gave my life to Christ and um, surrendered. That was October 5th, 2008. Never forget it. Wait, uh, Octo- wait when was it? October 5th, 2008 at uh, Cornerstone Church down in San Diego, Pastor Sergio's church. I got saved around the same uh, same time, uh, February 21st, 2008. Okay, so, so we right by yeah. each other. <laughs> You're a little bit ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. So, yeah, man. Dude, so, yeah, sick, I, turned, man. I turned to the Lord and... um. Man, like things just started happening quick. Like when the Holy Spirit came into my life, like he began to really reveal things to me and like clean things up in my life. Let's like, let's okay. Yeah. So check this out. There's a lot of listeners that are listening, yeah. and there's people that are um, that are in this state. Maybe they're not, there's a lot of people that are not Christians or believers yeah. at all, and they're listening and they're going, okay. So now he gave his life to Jesus, and you said the Holy Spirit started working. What what does that look like? What does this mean for these people that Dude, are listening? Like. I mean, I begin to hear I hear the voice of God clearly. Yep. Sounds crazy, but I believe true. it. I began to hear the voice of God and he began to guide me to certain places. Like he began to say, Now go to church. Like literally like a baby. Like so I would go to church, get to church. I hear a message from the pastor. I remember I went to the rock church, Pastor Miles McPherson, yep. and he was preaching on sexual purity, like the importance of, you know, saving yourself and living in purity. And as he's preaching, I remember he was talking about he was preaching, I think, on, on Absalom and how when he raped his sister Tamar, mm-hmm. he felt this. He, before he raped her, he felt like, man, I love her. I have this passion. I have this love for her. But after he raped her, he felt disgusted with her, the scriptures say. Yep. And I was just like, man, that's how I've always felt with girls. You know, like I would feel like this passion for them. But after we had sex, I would feel like I like get away from me. I don't want to have nothing like you're disgusting to me type thing. Mm-hmm. And, and as he began to talk about that, I was like, wow, that's me. And and I was like, okay, I need to walk in purity. So it was like, so the, so the spirit would guide me to church, and and I'd listen to that message, and I would apply it. And I and I remember after I heard that message, man, I got rid of all my pornography. I was like a porn addict too. I was yeah. a sex addict, man. Yeah. Honestly, like mm-hmm. if it wasn't girls, it was pornography. And so I remember I went home and I got rid of all the pornography under my bed, everything off my computer. That is that is hard, and you know yeah. that's a huge dude. They say statistics yeah. say that. Uh, think uh, 68% of men in the church consume yeah. pornography. Yeah. I believe it. I believe and it. And that's one of the hardest that was yeah. one of the hardest things for me to yeah. to get rid of the pornography was like Yeah. Cuz it's sex. It's not like you're you're drinking and get hung over yeah, or yeah. using drugs and feel like, you know, you know, hell the next day, but yeah. like, pornography is just like Yeah. It's you know. easy access. Yeah. It's right there. And so like I got rid of all my pornography. I caught I got all the girls in my on my phone. It's like I had to cut off cut everything off at the root. You know what I mean? I had to cut it off. So yep. I got, I went through my phone. I deleted no phone numbers of girls I used to hook up with, all that stuff. And then I began <laughs> to hear the guy say, hey, now go to this scripture, read this scripture. I know, read this Bible, read this book of the Bible. I, re- I remember be reading and it would be something in the scripture that would speak directly to me. And I'm gonna tell you something, the worst three months of my life wasn't the three months before I received Christ. The worst three months of my life was the three months after I received Christ. It was in those three months I was so tormented it was in those three months I was so challenged. I'll say I have a crisis of faith because I lived this life for so many years and now I'm in this new life 
and how do I give up that stuff? And those two lives that he's talking about is there's the life following, following the body appetites, the life, the life of the flesh, as the Bible would say. And then the new life is the life of the, the reborn, being born again of the, the spirit life. So living out the spirit life after Jesus Christ. So when the Bible says, you know, these two, uh, these two uh, spirit, the spirit and the flesh, are con- they're like they're constantly at war with each other. Paul writes about that they're fighting against each other. So yeah. this three-month process, what he's talking about, is he's getting pulled one way and he's getting yeah. pulled the other way. He's trying to go after the things of the spirit because he knows this is the right thing. But then yeah. the body appetites are going, I want, I want porn. Yeah. I want this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's your war. Yeah, it was a war. But I tell you, in those three months, like God taught me how to pray. And he, he taught me how to pray because there were times where I didn't know what to pray. I would just say, God, help me. I don't know what to do. God, guide me. God, teach me. God. I would just start talking to God, not like, now nah, lay me down to sleep. <laughs> yeah. It was none. It was like, God, I need you right now. It but was that's prayer. What you're talking yeah, about, prayer, that's prayer, Communication people. with God. It yeah. wasn't anything complicated like, thou all show God. And but a lot of people don't know how to pray. They think that's how you pray. Exactly. Because, you know, when you have a, it's about a relationship with God. That's why, you know, I hate religion. Yeah. You know what I mean? I hate, you know, all this crazy stuff that some churches make Christianity out to be. It's about a relationship. And when you have a relationship with a person, you communicate with that person. So I began to learn in those three months, just communicate with God. Just talk to him and allow him to talk to you. And and how does he talk to you? He talks to you through the, through the word. And so there were times where the Bible just, is the word. Yeah, people. I would just allow <laughs> the word to just get. And I begin to memorize scriptures, mm-hmm. you know, so that when I would find myself in a, in a situation where I was just down or depressed or a mess, I would just quote the, quote the scripture to myself. Yep. You know, and and after those three months, I, I just came out so much, so much stronger. And then um, a year later is when I started to get invited to, you know, different ministry. My, my chief or my platoon, he pulled me aside before we went on a deployment. And he was like, hey, you know, where we going? We're going to be on a self-sustaining base. We're not going to have a chaplain. We're not going to have churches. Hey, I see how you live your life. Is there any way you can lead the church services? And he wasn't he wasn't Christian. He was just like, hey, I just want you to I want you to lead. I want you to lead the Bible studies if we're not on missions. And I want you to lead the church services if we're not on missions. And I was like, sure, chief. So if we weren't on missions on Sundays, I was leading church service. And if we weren't on missions on Wednesdays, I was leading Bible studies with my SEAL platoon. And that's how I kind of got into ministry. And so when I got back from that deployment, then I started to get invited to churches. And then I began to study on my own. I began to study Greek, Hebrew, ap- apologetics, just mm-hmm. different things. So I can understand the scriptures a lot, a lot better. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, man. And, 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 um, and I met my wife. Um, this is, this is uh, 2011. I met my wife. Um, funny because cause I stayed single from 2008 to 2011. For three years. And and I think it was important for me to do that because I needed to really learn how to love God. I needed to learn how to love people in a healthy way. And I needed to learn how to love myself in a healthy way and recognize my self-worth. And then I also needed that time to allow God to really show me who I was, show, show me what my true likes were, what my true desires were, like what he has for me. And so after I took those three years. Because a lot of people take all that baggage. Yeah. And they just. Go, they find this godly girl yep. and then they take all this baggage and, and you don't even know how to treat a girl. Exactly. So that's – and I want to say this to the listeners. If you're living this life and you just gave your life to the Lord, don't just try and hook up with a guy. Because yeah. a lot of people think, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm just going to get married. Yeah. No. Let God work in you and through you and show you who you are and who he is and mm-hmm. then – God will bring that that your soulmate that He created for Absolutely. you. Absolutely, and I tell. We, I, we have, I just want to let you know yeah. because we have fifteen. I think we have like eleven minutes. Okay. So I want to hear how you got married and all that good stuff. Yeah. So just so okay. you know, we're right. Yeah, I'll time. be real quick. I'll be real quick, and I try to tell singles because I talk to singles all the time. Whoever your husband or whoever your wife is, 
who who God has for you, they ain't going nowhere. Yes, exactly. You know, he's going to bring them to you, to guys together in that perfect time. So don't we don't have to feel rushed. Like I need to find this person, or it's not going. It's going to happen in God's that time. That is so you know? good. I'm, I'm gonna steal that from you. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, you know, after three years, I remember again. I heard I was I was it was April of 2011. I was driving from church, and I heard the heard the spirit say, "It's time. It's time for you to meet your wife." And so I set up. I was like, "Okay, I'm not going to go to the club. You know, there's not any girls in my church. I really like." Where am I gonna go? So I was like, I'm gonna go on the internet. Yeah. What? So yeah. So I was like, I'll go. So I went on. I set up. A, I was like, I'm gonna do a 30 day trial on Mash.com. So I went on Mash.com, set up a 30 day trial. My wife, my future wife. Yeah. <laughs> she started her 30 day trial the last week of my 30 day trial. So check this out. The spirit tells me now it's time for you to start dating. I set up a 30 day after being single for three years. I set up a 30 day trial. Four weeks later, I meet my wife. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. It's all about when you, he knows what, he knows the right time to bring you your wife. Yep. You know, she's your spouse, you know? And so anyway, we met and, and fell head over heels in love and, and got married five months later, got engaged five months later, got married a week after we got engaged. Perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so. So, okay. So I know you, you got married and uh, I think we still have like seven more minutes left. Then you had, um, you had kids. Yeah. You have a couple kids. How, how's yeah. that going? It's going great. It's going great. We went through our challenges after we got married. Yeah, tell us a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we went that. through some, a lot of challenges, man, because I never had a, I never had a father to teach me how to be a husband. Um, and, you know, I never had that real, that real example. And so there were a lot of faults on my end. You know, she had her expectations of what marriage was and, 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 and you know, what a marriage should look like. And, and then the other thing is my wife is a very strong-willed person. She's a doctor. Um, she has a crazy testimony. When she was 19, she was diagnosed with a very rare autoimmune disease that was supposed to kill her. She fought through it. Doctors told her, you're going to die. She went to a church service, got prayed over. The disease disappeared. She had a hole in her heart. The hole in her heart disappeared. This it's because these people prayed over her. Yeah. And, and and then she was like, I want to be a doctor. So she she began to fight to be a doctor. She became a doctor. So my wife is a very strong willed person, and I'm a very strong willed person. And so after being married for a few months, those two those two wills begin to clash. Uh-huh. You know, those two and, and 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 I wanted certain things, and she wanted certain. We didn't know how to operate together, and so um because of that. And our marriage got bad, like after two years. I mean, after a year, we were talking about divorce. After a year, we were talking about we don't want to be together, you know. And and it was our marriage was a mess, man. And and there were three things that kept us together. One, you know, we knew that we built our relationship on the foundation of God. You know, you know, we did we didn't have sex before we got married. We tried to, you know, we tried to, you know, make sure we we set boundaries. You know, we we, we prayed together. We did this, so we knew. You know our, that we built our relationship on the right foundation. So because of that, that was one reason. That was one thing that I would always go back to. I always go back to that foundation. I always go back to you know what I married her because I loved her, not because I had sex with her and the sex was passionate, not for the because I wanted money from it. I married her because I loved her. Yeah. So I went back to that. And the second thing that kept us together is there was a scripture that says you know when God starts something, He brings it to completion. So I knew that though our marriage was a mess. God was, he was working something in us and he was working things out of us. You know, my, my mentor says, you know, 
Uh, he says rough seas, calm seas never makes a, a, a good sailor. It's those rough seas that makes a good yep. sailor. And and he, my, my mentor also tells me, he told me before, he said, you know what, Remy, God didn't give you the wife you want or the wife you deserve. God gave you the wife that's going to help you to better conform to the image of Christ. And I'm going to tell you something. No one could push you like your spouse could push you. you know, so it was through that that, you know, I knew that, you know, God was going to bring it to completion and fix it. And then, you know, that no quit attitude that, you know, was embedded in me through the SEAL teams. You know, it was like you don't quit. You don't give up, especially when things are uncomfortable. You keep pushing through. And so those three things and me and my wife both humbling ourselves. You know, and just to sum it all up and, and be short, those are the things that eventually help to restore and strengthen our marriage. And our marriage is in a great place. As you said, we got two beautiful kids. My oldest is three. My youngest is two, Caden and Caleb. And yeah, man. So, yeah. How do people do it? You know, because I'm, I'm only been married for like four years now. And mm-hmm. I just because, you know, do marriage life gets tough. Yeah, it's it's yeah. you get kids and, and just life in general. Yeah. And. I just don't know how people do marriage when you're not walking with God. Because I know that when things get rough in, in our house, you know, when there's disagreements or whatever, because life's life, um, we just go to what the Bible says. Because, mm-hmm. you know, because you could be like, well, I'm, I'm right. And then well, the other, you know, your wife would be like, well, I'm right, you mm-hmm. know. And, but then you just go to the Bible and then it all comes down to that submission. Yeah. Say, we love you. God, God put us together. Yeah. Yeah. And just knowing that God puts put you together. But there's a lot of people that could go out and, you know, I feel sorry for people that, that are Christians that go out and get married and they know that if they don't know that God actually put them together. Yeah. Because yeah. I've seen people in the church yeah. get married. Yeah. And there was like no confirmation. Yeah. They were just like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we like each other and, you know, we're here. We're both Christians and yeah. it makes sense on paper. But you got to have – you got to make sure that God actually puts you together because then you know that you know <laughs> that this is it because the, the trials and tribulations are going to come. And um, that's what you have to fall back on. It's like, yeah. I know God put yeah, it together. Man. You are the one. And I'm and, not going to quit. Yeah, exactly. I'm not quit. And there's a lot of marriages, you know, in the church, out of the church that are that are on the rocks. Yeah. And, you know, what, what would you have to say to, to people right now that are, that are dealing with that, um, struggling in their marriage? First thing, don't quit. Don't quit. Just realize that, you know, no, you know, big thing is. Every marriage ain't perfect. See, I think, you know, uh, there's a deception out there. You see all these couples and you see all your friends and they seem like everything is perfect. And you get this mindset, well, their marriage is perfect. Their marriage is perfect. Their marriage is perfect. Their marriage, but my marriage sucks. It's like, no, every marriage, yes. in every marriage, Christian, not Christian, you know what I mean? You know, new marriage, old marriage, there's problems, there's struggles, there's conflicts. And I tell you, man, I counsel couples, or me and my wife counsel couples all the time, marriage couple, all the time. And it's like, meanwhile, I sit back and be like, man, everybody's going through it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a battle, you know? So so that's, that's the first thing I'll tell couples out there is you are not alone. Yep. Just don't don't think that you're the only married couple that's, that's dealing with problems in the world. No, there's many others. And then the second thing is don't quit. Just realize that God is going to bring it to completion. Just, just be praying, God, God, not because so quick we be like, God, work on my husband, work on my wife, work you work on them because they all messed up and just and there's times and one thing I had to do is I said, God, work on me, man, like show me what I'm doing wrong, like show me, show me how I could be a better husband to my wife, like I'm not gonna point the finger at my wife anymore. I'm gonna point the, I'm gonna look at look at the mirror for myself. So that's so that's one thing I would say, you know, to couples, look look at yourself, you know, before you point at the other, and then. And then, you know, don't quit and, and realize you guys are not alone in this fight. 
You know? God, God uh, or Satan likes to say that the grass is greener on the other side. Yeah, yeah. The grass is not greener on yeah. the other side. I've seen so many. Fa- I've seen so many families split because they thought the grass is greener on their side. Well, guess what? You're going to marry your next wife. Yeah. And guess what? You're go- <laughs> she's yeah. not going to be perfect. <laughs> yeah. You're going to run into problems, and you're going to face the same things. And I yeah. can't tell you story after story. I've seen people that they go, man, I wish I would have just stayed with my first wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because now I hear I have this, my kids, and not only that, what it does to the kids. Yeah, yeah. What divorce does, it just splits the kids. And then the kids, I mean, you see that over and over. Every kid that grows up in in a divorce home is, is, dude, there's there's issues. Yeah. So it's not just just you and your wife. Yes. It splits the whole family. Yeah, and that's a big thing I, I tell couples that I counsel. Like, it's not just about you. And, you know, in our culture, our culture is very selfish. It's about very, me, 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 me. But we forget it's it's about the unit. It's about my wife, my kids, our friends, the people around us, you know, because every, so many people are affected. And so I try to remind couples it's not just about you. Stop just focusing on you and think about those kids and think about these other people who are going to be affected, you know. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, man, yeah. Well, dude, we got like two minutes left, man. Do you got anything to say to anyone that might be uh, thinking about accepting Jesus Christ? What would you like to say to that? Yeah, I'd like to say, you know, I'd just like to, you know, again, just touch on my story again. You know, I don't preach or talk passionately about Jesus because it's what I was taught. Never been to seminary, never been to Bible college. I don't preach or teach or talk about Jesus because I get paid to do it. I don't get paid to do it. You know, I'm, I'm in the, in the entertainment industry and I do other things as well. The only reason why I talk about Jesus with the passion, I, because this is what I've experienced. I've experienced everything in the world, girls, money, you know, attention, everything. And, you know, was still empty, was still empty. And, um, and then I experienced just, Say, crying out to Jesus, God, just help me, teach me, guide me. And then seeing as he reached into my world, picked me up, cleaned me up, changed me up, and then placed me here and put me where I'm at today. And so that's why I, I talk with the passion about Jesus that I talk with. And I just, my prayer is that you would look at my life as an example and see what was done in my life and say, you know what? You know, I want that change. I want that peace. I want that passion. I want to feel that love. I want that grace. I want that mercy. I want that new life. I want that new start. You know. God got you. Wherever yeah. you're at, yeah. it's very simple. You know, that prayer that you said when you were out there in the in the, in the the wilderness in Alaska, you said, yeah. save me. Help me. Yeah. Help me or save me. Help me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, Jesus help, help me. me. Yeah. It's, it's that simple. Wherever you're at, yeah. say, Jesus, help me. And say, dude, come into my life and reveal yourself to me. And literally... The gospel can change someone in a second. Literally, it's that fast. You just ask him to come into your life, ask for forgiveness of sins, get plugged into a church, start reading the Bible, and your life will literally start transforming uh, one one second at a time. And it's the best decision you ever made. And it's about a relationship, not religion. religion, Jesus, Jesus drove the religious people crazy. 
It's all about a relationship with Christ. It's us talking to him and him talking back. Religion is man reaching up to God. Relationship is God reaching down the man, sending his his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, that anyone that believes in him will be saved and have eternal life. And that means we get to all party when we get to heaven together for eternity, forever and ever, and we get to be with the creator that knows us and created us. And it's going to be amazing. I mean, I don't think we're going to be floating around the clouds with a with a harp. I mean, if you're into that, it might be there. I don't know. But it's going to it's gonna be amazing. So, yeah, hey, I want to thank you yes, sir. for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. How, how do people track you down if they're trying to— I'm on Facebook, Remy Adelake, Twitter, Remy Adelake, Instagram, Remy Adelake. Easy day. You know? Or go see him on the big screen yeah, on Wednesday at Transformers. Transformers, June 21st. Jockey. Jockey ads yeah. out. Jockey Prince. That's out, too. Check out my I Am Second Story. Share it. Um, God bless you guys. Love you guys. We had a good time at church tonight. <laughs> Dude, it was epic, man. And I can't yes, wait. You know, we'll have to get you back on the show. Yes, sir. Most definitely. When you go do, you get the movie circulating, go out, do yeah. your thing, and then come back around, and we'll hear some... Uh, some praise reports and, yeah. and see uh, how God's been using you out there in the Amen. industry. Amen. Um, it's going to be sick. And uh, don't forget to come by the booth at I Am Second. The Whosoever's and I Am Second are out at Vans Warp Tour. Come by and check us out. Peace. This has been Live with Ryan Reese. To connect or find out more about Ryan... Click on ryan-reese.com. Check us out next Saturday at 9 p.m. for Live with Ryan Reese. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.